The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. I want to introduce our, our new series of sermons. We're going to be spending a few weeks talking about the triangle that led us through our generosity series, the up, the in, and the out triangle, as the three different relational dimensions that we live with, right? We all live in some relationship towards the divine, towards, the, the, towards God, some relationship towards others in our immediate community, and then towards our larger community in the world. And, uh, and so this is an introduction of sorts, where we're looking not at us primarily, but at God, and about the relational God, and how that impacts us in our lives. And so I want to just uh, reflect with you. Some of you may know the singer-songwriter Lizzo for her, uh, her hit in the past few years, Truth Hurts. Uh, she's had some other famous songs come to the, the surface, but um, she's made a n- name for herself with good vibes and with lyrics that promote encouraging self-love and, and, and good feelings about yourself. But, but this doesn't mean, just because this is her style, doesn't mean that she doesn't feel down from time to time herself. In 2019, she published a video on Instagram with a very vulnerable caption that read, Everything feels like rejection. It feels like the whole world be ghosting me sometime. Sad as beep today, but this too shall pass. And then the text over the video read this. It said, um, I'm depressed and there's no one I can talk to because there's nothing anyone can do about it. Life hurts. You know, we can look at people like Lizzo who, who seem to be at the top, who seem to have all the friends, all the likes, all the things in the world going for them as if they don't ever experience these sorts of negative emotions, as if they never cry themselves to sleep, or as if they never have ups and downs throughout the day. But this, I think this vulnerable post shows us that this simply isn't true. And why would it be? Aren't they human too? Aren't they just like us, capable of experiencing a range of emotions and feeling pretty down from time to time? Let me remind you of something. We are living in the loneliest world ever. Ever. And, and the scary thing is that that's not a contested statement. If you talk to psychologists or counselors, or therapists, or sociologists, they will all tell you that this is the loneliest that humanity has ever been, especially in the West. Inventions like big houses, air conditioning. I was reading this week that air conditioning and that technological advancement allowed people to stay inside and disconnected ourselves from each other, something that past generations didn't experience as they mingled on front porches to get some uh, breeze and some relief from the heat. Other things like attached garages and even, yes, of course, the iPhone. All of these things have made it more complicated and harder for us to live in relationship with each other. It's added distance. You know, I imagine Lizzo isn't the only one thinking about this 
feeling of rejection by her peers, this feeling of isolation and loneliness, the feeling that there's nothing and nobody to talk to about any of this. I imagine that each one of us feels this from time to time. And so instead of putting on a face and showing up to church and pretending like we're all put together all the time, let's spend a few weeks and unpack these relational dimensions. And today, let's talk about the relational God. You know, it may surprise us to know that the baptism of Jesus is the perfect passage to treat our loneliness, our isolation. Because this passage shows us so much. It shows us God in three persons. It shows us why each of us struggles to really believe that we're worthy of love and acceptance, but most of all, it gives us a a God who demonstrates his love for us and just how far he will go to care for our every need. And so we're going to talk about three points today. We're going to talk about the relational God, the relational gap, and the relational gospel. Finally, after four years of being your pastor, I got three points that all start with G. The relational God, the relational gap, the relational gospel. So let's start with the relational God. For the Christian, God is one single essence, one single nature, but is three distinct persons. This is the doctrine of the Trinity in a nutshell, uh, the triune God that we worship this morning. And so if you're confused by what I just said, how can God be one single essence, three persons? Just be comforted by what the theologian J.I. Packer said about this. He said, the historic doctrine of the Trinity confronts us with perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has been asked to handle. So just take a breath and realize that this is hard even for me, and this is going to be probably the least technical sermon you've heard on the Trinity in your lifetime. Because I'm not going to explain everything about the Trinity here, but what I do want us to see is how and why the Trinity is important for us every day, to, to know that God is triune, okay? So, so um, God is, as I said before, God is one single essence, one single nature, but three distinct persons. And in this passage, in the baptism of Jesus, God puts this on display for us. You know, Jesus Christ, often called the the Word of God in the, the Gospel of John, the Son of God, walks down to the to the edge of the Jordan River to be baptized by John. And then during his baptism, we see that the heavens are opened, and a voice from heaven, from God the Father. So now with the second um member of God, or the person of God that's present there, the God the Father says in a loud voice, this is my son whom I love. And also present there during that baptism was the Holy Spirit in the visible form of a dove. Three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Bible people will point out to us that the, whole, that, that the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is, is not often shown to us in the character of a dove. It's only shown to us here and in a few other occasions. And, and you know, actually, on a, on a little side note, I sometimes wonder about that. A dove? Really? So, like, the two images of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is, is like a nice, gentle dove and fire. Couldn't there, you know, like, why a dove? Couldn't it be like a, a, like a falcon or something like a little bit more intense to get across the nature of, 
Anyway, maybe there's something for me to learn in that um, calming and gentle character. But um, the image of the Holy Spirit in a dove form. But what this does is it actually harkens us, to, harkens us back to uh, a different place in the Bible where the dove is, 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 um, is, is characterized again. When in Genesis 1, where we're, where we're uh, told about how God created the, the world the, the, at the story of creation, the, the Hebrew word for, and the Spirit of God hovered, that we read in our NIV Bibles, is actually more literally translated out of the Hebrew as the word of, the, the, the Spirit of God fluttered, fluttered, just like a dove. And so that's where this, this image comes, comes through. And what Matthew is doing is he's, he's reminding us of something really important. That, you know, God, God reveals himself in three persons here at this, this baptism. But that's not the first time that this has happened. That God has consistently, even though, you know, in the Old Testament, the Jews talk about God, you know, the Shema, the Lord uh, God, the Lord is one. Honor the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That the Lord your God is one was central, but yet distinctly in three persons has been present for all eternity. And Matthew is reminding us of this here. The God who created everything, the God who um, established the foundations of the world, has existed in relationship for eternity. And here's why this is huge for us. Because this tells us that, yeah, God is the center of the universe, but that relationships are also at the center of the universe. At the very center of everything, when God created the world, God spoke. You know, the word of God God's Son, Jesus, was present at creation, and the Spirit fluttered, hovered over the waters. It's a triune creation. As difficult as it feels for Lizzo to experience this rejection that she feels, and, and how sad that is, it, 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 she, the answer for her is not to just distance herself completely, to shut people out because it's too hard, because relationships are at the center. The Creator God established the world and he's a God of relationships. And he's made us in his image. So that means we were created for relationships too. It's embedded in our DNA. But that isn't all. Because God is in perfect relationship with himself too. He is per in perfect relationship with himself. John 17 verses 4 and 5 tell us that each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, is seeking to glorify the other is seeking to selflessly serve the other, the other. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And even off, off a tangent, there are, there's some biblical theology that talks about the cross of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was first and foremost obedient to the will of the Father before he was serving us and saving us. There is this inherent in God himself is this selfless relationship of love that radiates the Trinity perfect. Pre-exists creation. And now high school guys, I don't want you to ever use this line that I'm about to say as a pickup line, okay? Because what this tells us about the Trinity is that love has always existed. And so never say to a girl, my love for you is like the Trinity. It has always existed. So what we see in this passage here is a relational God a relational God of selfless love that has made us in this way. But what this does is it actually uncovers for us 
our relational gaps. Because we don't live like this towards each other. And I want to explain our relational gaps in two different ways. The first is through our selfish relationships. You know, these, oftentimes we find ourselves in a relationship and we end up in this relationship always trying to get something out of it. Acting selfishly, even when we try not to. Expecting other people to serve us more than we realize. I remember hearing this mentioned in a sermon a little while ago uh, and thinking to myself, yeah, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm, I'm more perfect than this pastor thinks that I am. And then I, I realized, and this was when I was preaching through the series of sermons on conflict, and it was when I used that example of, uh, of Tracy not, uh, not uh, uh, rinsing the, the soap suds off the dishes. And I realized, you know, this is, this is actually an example of selfishness on my part. But I expect her to serve me by doing the dishes in the same way that I think that they should be done. I know it's a small example, but I think what it does for me is it uncovers a longer line of dominoes that gets set off. Because our selfishness runs deeper than just those simple examples. Someone told me one time um, when, when we got married that marriage is just this... Uh, and for those of you who have had this opportunity to be married, maybe you can share this, is that marriage is a real call to selflessness. And as you uh, live with your spouse, you realize just how selfish you are. And then kids come around. And kids are even more needy than spouses are. And they, they, they force you to be more selfless. And they, they, what they do is they uncover this selfishness that is beneath the surface of our relationships that we often don't realize. But it gets in the way. It creates these gaps. And we even act this way in our relationship towards God. We keep God around for selfish gain way more than we realize. We use God more than we realize. You know, some of us, even below the surface, when we begin to peel away the layers, we, we begin to realize that, you know, as, these ex as experiences happen in our lives, we realize that we actually approach God and we say, God, I will serve you, I will worship you, I will give my life to you if you give me a good life. If you save me from suffering. If I don't have to put up with this. And, but by doing that, what we're doing is we're essentially saying to God, I will, I will worship you if you serve me. You are taking yourself and you're putting yourself at the center of that relationship, and it creates a gap. Selfishness always creates a gap, and that's when people get hurt. And whenever we act this way to go towards God, we hurt God. We hurt him. When we act selfishly towards him, it's called sin. And sin creates this gap. It's the same way as how it creates a gap between our relationships with each other. And so ask yourself the question, who orbits around me? Who orbits around me? In small ways or in big ways? How does my selfishness get in the way of my relationship with God? In what ways do I expect him to serve me? What qualifications am I putting up in my devotion and worship? to God. But there's a second way that, um, that our selfishness plays itself out, our self-serving relationships play itself out, and that's through a false selflessness. If people 
you know, call you selfless, and, and you seek to be selfless, and you seek to serve other people, and yet you find yourself letting them walk all over you, or use you, or you find yourself not able to say no to all their requests. We would say that there are boundary issues, right? We have to work on our boundaries. I have to learn how to say no. But what really, if we, if we begin to unpeel the layers, what's going on there is we actually are finding ourselves needing the person to need us. We are relying on them to need us in that relationship, to give them something. And in, in a sense, their need is serving us. It's making us feel good about ourselves. It's saying, we're, we're using that relationship to say, okay, I know I'm okay because I am serving a person. It's a gap. And even a relationship like that leads to hurt. It leads to loneliness. It leads to anxiety. It leads to depression. But in all of this, all of these relational gaps that we create, we have to remember that God is a God of reconciliation. And our relational gaps need to be healed, and he offers us this hope through the relational gospel. And the baptism of Jesus tells us how he does this. Because Jesus Christ in his baptism tells us how God enters into our world on a mission. A mission to become our representative. And Jesus says that this baptism has to be done in order to fulfill all righteousness. What on earth does that mean, to fulfill all righteousness? Well, I want to point out two things that the Bible people say it means. First, it means that he becomes our representative. When he says that he must do it to fulfill all righteousness, it means that he must be baptized in order to show his solidarity with us. In order to become like us in every way, we receive baptism, and Jesus receives baptism. He is, he is exactly like us in every way except he did not sin. He's fully human. And so this is important because when we fast forward through the Gospels and we see that Jesus Christ went to the cross for us, we know, we can look at his baptism and know that he fully represents us there. It's as if all of humanity is standing upon Jesus' shoulders when he is on the cross. He's our representative. But to fulfill all righteousness also means that, that, that he had to do it to fulfill a righteous life. Jesus, Jesus was perfect, ethically perfect, observance to the law, perfect. In his relationships, perfect. He was like us in every way, the Hebrew writer says, except he did not sin. And so he is also goes to the cross as our perfect representative. And on the cross, the perfect Son of God experienced something he did not deserve. Jesus was cut off from the Father. He called out to him, and he was not heard. He experienced the full wrath and the full judgment of God that our selfish actions deserve. Why? Why would Jesus do this? It's to reconcile us to him. It's to make a way for us to be in a good relationship with God again. It's to heal our relational gap. And we receive this by grace. It's not earned. And so trusting in Jesus means for us that we can now experience a relationship with God that doesn't depend on our actions. It's not 
because we're such good people that God loves us and accepts us, it's through Jesus Christ, and it's, as we sung, it's by faith. He stands in our place. He pays the price so that we can be healed. And this changes everything for us. Being in a right relationship with God again changes everything. I began this sermon by telling us the story about Lizzo and about how she feels like she's experiencing this rejection. And I thought to myself, if only she knew the relational gospel. Because this gospel tells us a different story, invites us into a different story. Because of Jesus, we can look at his baptism where Jesus hears this voice calling from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. And we can hear those words spoken of us. Through Jesus, each of us, when we come to God through Jesus, we hear those words said of us. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. I am happy with you. And this is not rejection. This is acceptance. This is not isolation. This is relationship. This is not anxiety. This is peace. I don't know what each of us is feeling today. Maybe you feel like nobody cares, or that things are unfair, or that you're alone, or God doesn't love you, but that isn't true. The baptism shows us this. The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit is crazy about you. And before you roll your eyes about this, like this is the Jesus answer, let me just remind you of something. If we really believed this, if this really mattered to us, if we really took this to heart, what this means is that the God who's at the center of the universe, the God who breathes stars out of his mouth, who can create all of this from absolutely nothing. The God who holds eternity in his hands is happy with you, smiles at you, invites you into an eternal relationship with him. Then what else matters? When we have the smile of God, all other frowns become inconsequential, as Tim Keller says. And so, friends, I think our relationships start at the top of the triangle, upward towards God. Paul tells us, you know, be reconciled to God. Confess your sin, receive his forgiveness, and live in the relationship that he offers. Devote yourself to serving him, not because you get anything out of it, but because of who he is. And you can begin to sing the words, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven and heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you our relational God, that you invite us into relationship with you, that you've made a way for us to be healed, that you've made a way for our selfishness to be transformed into selflessness. Conform us to the image of your Son, that we may serve you not because we get something from you, but simply because of who you are, that we can experience the love, the joy, the peace,
that comes from a relationship with you, and that that would flow from us into how we relate to each other. God, we need your spirit in order to live like this. And so we pray that you send us your Holy Spirit to move us closer to you, to be the encourager. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.